throughout this year, misinformation, bad health advice, or conspiracy theories about this pandemic have flooded across the internet. And these have led to tragic consequences in lots of different countries across the world. So there have been mob attacks in India as a result of this. There have been attacks on telecommunications engineers and equipment in the UK. There have been mass alcohol poisonings in Iran. People overdosing on anti-malarial drugs in Vietnam and Nigeria. A couple poisoning themselves with fish tank cleaner in Arizona. And many other people catching COVID-19 because they thought that this pandemic was a big government conspiracy. And so in order to stop the spread of all this bad information, people have been encouraged to stop and think before they forward on that message. Or to check their sources. Or to refuse to share if they're not sure that it's true. And even Facebook have got in on the act. They've been under pressure from their, their advertisers about this issue. And so in the last couple of weeks, they've launched a campaign to stamp out false news. Now, I'm not convinced whether any of this will actually stop fake news from spreading across the world. But it is useful advice. None of us want to be taken in by a fake news story or an elaborate hoax. And that was the same as the disciples on the Sunday after Jesus had been crucified. When they heard stories about an empty tomb and about an angelic appearance, they didn't immediately believe it and jump to share it with everybody they could. Instead, they checked it out for themselves to see if it really was true. But when they looked at the evidence, they came to believe that Jesus really was alive. So we're going to start our our series in John chapter 20, looking at some of the events of the resurrection. And we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 9 this morning. So, John chapter 20, verse 1 down to verse 9. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, 
separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So we'll just leave a reading uh, there. Mary Magdalene was an incredibly committed follower of Jesus. When so many of their disciples were hiding in fear, she and a couple of the women went to where Jesus had been buried. This is what verse 1 says. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. A couple of days earlier, she had been standing at Golgotha when Jesus was being crucified. We read in John chapter 19, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And we can only imagine the intensity of emotion as she watched her Lord die in agony on the cross. And last week we thought about how Joseph and Nicodemus took Jesus' body down off the cross and wrapped it in linen and spices and laid it in Joseph's new tomb, rolling a stone in front of it. But while they did this, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. They were watching all of this happen. Watching and weeping for their Lord. Now, they didn't understand what was happening. They didn't get this. They, like the other disciples, didn't know that this was all part of God's plan. They'd soon look back and realise that this wasn't a tragedy, but actually was an amazing triumph. But at that moment, all of their hopes in Jesus had died with him. But amazingly, their dedication to Jesus had not. These brave women would not give up on their commitment to, to the one that they believed was the Messiah. They remained dedicated to him. And so they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. They didn't know why Jesus had died, but they were going to do all that they could to honour the one that they loved so much by honouring his memory, by anointing his body. The next day was Saturday. That was the Sabbath. And so they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Even in the middle of this emotional turmoil, they still wanted to obey God. They still were committed to trying to honour Him. And then, the next day, while it was still dark, they went to the tomb. Probably between three and six o'clock in the morning. This was the first time 
in that weekend that Mary could go to the tomb with those spices to mourn and to express her undying dedication to the Lord. So why was Mary Magdalene so dedicated to Jesus when so many others who followed him stumbled? What set this woman apart from the others? Well, maybe it was just because she was so grateful for what Jesus had done in her life. Luke mentions that Mary called Magdalene, probably because where she was from was possibly Magdala, from whom seven demons had come out. Jesus had released this woman from the incredible torment of demonic possession. He had set her free. He had completely transformed her life. And as a result, she became a faithful follower of Jesus. And also, she became a financial supporter of his mission. Mark tells us that in Galilee, these women, including Mary Magdalene, had followed him and cared for his needs. She'd actually provided the finance to to enable Jesus and the disciples to travel around and and provide the finance for their food and, and, and for their basic needs. So Mary had decided to follow Jesus with everything that she was and everything that she had. Nothing was too much to ask of her. So even although she didn't understand everything that was happening at that moment, she was not about to give up on the one who had set her free. And I think that's such an important lesson for us today. Faith in Jesus is not about having all the answers. It's not about understanding everything that's happening to us. It's certainly not about going through life without any struggles or without any problems. That's not what faith in Jesus is about. Faith in Jesus is about committing ourselves to Jesus because we know who He is and because we know what He has done by dying on the cross for us, paying for our sins and setting us free from the penalty of sin and death and hell. So this morning, folks, we might be here this morning And we might be confused about what is happening in our lives. We might be confused about what God is doing. There may be things happening that we struggle to understand or accept. But today, we can stand in faith and worship our Lord. Not because we have all the answers. But because, like Paul, we can say, I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. We can be here because we know Jesus. And we know that he has set us free.
So Mary, she visited that tomb out of her amazing commitment to the Lord. But when she got there, she was confused. On Friday, she'd watched Joseph place Jesus in that tomb and roll a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and then leave. That's what Matthew chapter 27 tells us. Now this was just a common way to secure a tomb in those days. These disc-shaped stones were so heavy that they required several men to move them. So that morning, when she and the other woman were walking to, or were on their way to the tomb, their biggest concern was, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? As it says in Mark chapter 16. They knew that they didn't have the physical strength to move this stone. But actually, the problem was much greater than this. Because at the request of the chief priests and the Pharisees, Pilate had given orders to secure this tomb. Matthew 27 tells us, they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. So even if the woman could have physically moved that stone, or even got help to do that, they wouldn't have been allowed to do that. They wouldn't have been permitted. Those guards would have stopped them from breaking that seal. So it's not surprising that Mary was so shocked when in verse 1 we read that she saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. That's not what she expected. And it confused her. And so she ran back to tell Peter and John, verse 2, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now, in a way, that's a logical deduction to make, isn't it? It kind of makes sense. The stone was rolled away. She knew that Jesus' disciples would not have desecrated Jesus' tomb in that way. So it must have been his enemies. It must have been either the Roman soldiers or the Jewish leadership. They've taken the body of the Lord away. So it made sense, but she was wrong. She did not know that this was actually God's doing. She thought it was the enemies of God, but actually it was God that had done this. In Matthew 28, it says there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and just to emphasize the whole thing, sat down in it. I can imagine his arms folded. There. See. So what she thought was an absolute disaster was actually evidence of the most amazing event in all of world history. She got it really seriously wrong, didn't she? She thought that that stone had been moved away in in order to take the Lord away from her. Where actually that stone had been removed to show that the Lord would always be with her. 
And I think in our lives, we often make similar kinds of mistakes. We often jump to the wrong conclusions when we see the circumstances of our lives. When things happen that we don't expect, when plans don't work out as we hoped, when circumstances are different from what we imagined God would do, it's easy for us to be confused and to jump to the wrong conclusions. To think that it's a disaster. To think that somehow the enemies have taken over and they've got, they've got the upper hand. Because we just try and make sense of things. We try and work things out. We use our logic and our reasoning and our experience. Maybe we go to the worst case scenario if that's the kind of character or personality that we have. And we come up with an explanation that seems to fit what we can see. And yet, so often, we're just plainly wrong. It's because God's ways are different from our ways. This is what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. Your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God often does things that are greater than we can understand. He works in ways that we don't expect and that from our perspective don't make sense. And so if we don't want to continually get this wrong, if we don't want to continually jump to the wrong conclusions about what is happening in our lives, then we mustn't just rely on ourselves and our own thinking and our own logic. Instead, we need to rely on the Lord. So Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. So instead of working things out for ourselves, we need to rely on the Lord. We need to do things like spend time in prayer. Asking God... For the wisdom that we need. That's what James tells us. He says if any of us lack wisdom, he should ask God. And it will be given to him. And instead of relying on human logic and human reasoning, we need to open our Bibles. And understand God's purpose and God's plan for our lives. If Mary and the other disciples had done that, then they would have understood that from from Scripture, that Jesus had to rise from the dead, as John writes in verse 9. So we need to rely on the Lord, not on our own logic, not on our own reasoning. 
We need to look to see what He is doing in our lives. What His purpose and plan is. What His goal is for us. And if we don't, then we're always going to get the wrong end of the stick. So Mary was confused. But the good thing that she did in her confusion is that she didn't just rely on her own. She didn't just keep that confusion to herself. Instead she ran to Peter and John and shared her problem with them. It's always a good thing when we're confused, when we're struggling, to go and ask for help from other believers in Christ. And Peter and John, they responded immediately to that. It says in verse 3, So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. They didn't yet understand what had happened that morning. They could not explain away Mary's misunderstanding. They didn't just say, sit down Mary, let me tell you exactly what happened. They couldn't do that. They didn't know any better than she did. And then when the other women arrived with the news of a message from the angels, they didn't believe the woman. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter and John, just like Mary, did not expect anything good to happen that morning. They were not waiting in expectation of news of Jesus' resurrection. And neither were they naive and gullible. They were not conspiracy theorists, ready to believe anything that anybody told them. They didn't know what all of this was pointing to. They didn't know what to believe. But crucially, they knew that this was important enough to check it out for themselves. If Jesus' tomb was empty, they had to find out why. So despite the fact that they were still in hiding because of fear of the Jews, they ran as fast as they could to the tomb. They had a bit of a race that Sunday morning. They knew that they had to find out why. And that's true today. The question of the empty tomb is of vital importance. Because either it's the biggest fake news story ever, and we should just have nothing to do with Christianity at all. Or, it's the most important truth that's ever been shared. And it should transform our lives. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Christianity doesn't, is, it does not make sense for us to live half-heartedly for Jesus. Because either he is dead and he's rotting in a, in a, in a, in a tomb, or he's alive and he's our Lord. Half-hearted Christianity just doesn't make sense. Either this is a whole fake news story, so have nothing to do with it at all. Or this is completely true and it should be the fourth, the, the centre 
the goal, the ambition of our lives to honour the Lord with everything that we do. And so like Peter and John, we need to check out the evidence. We need to check it out for ourselves, folks. We can't rely on somebody else to do it for us. We need to find this out for ourselves. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica about how they should respond to prophecy. He said, when you hear prophecies, test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. When you hear somebody say, this is what God is saying, test it. Test it against God's word. See if it's true. If it's true, hold on to it. If it's not, have nothing to do with it. And if that's true about prophecy, that it is true, certainly, about this most important news ever. We need to test it to see if it is true. John, he was a faster runner than Peter. And so he got to the tomb first. And verse 5 says, He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there. Now the word here for he bent, he looked, is that he glanced at. He had a quick look. Maybe out of fear. Or maybe out of respect. John initially just had a quick look in that tomb. Without actually going in. But when he arrived, Peter had no hesitation. Maybe that's the kind of personality that he was. He just went straight into the tomb. Barged right in. And verse 6 says, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around his head, Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Peter thoroughly investigated the scene. This is what this word saw in the original language means. It means he had a really good look at this. Just as Mary had said, that stone was removed. That tomb was empty, apart from those grave clothes that were there. Now what that did was, it ruled out a grave robbing. Because the only thing of value in the tomb were the linen strips of, the, the strips of linen, the grave clothes. And they'd been left. So nobody would have robbed that grave. And if the authorities had taken Jesus, they would not have taken time to unwrap Jesus' body and fold up the grave clothes and lay them there carefully. In fact, did you see how carefully John described what those linen strips were like here? He seems to say that those strips of linen were lying there undisturbed. As if they'd been wrapped around Jesus' body... And Jesus' body had just passed through them, leaving them behind. And this is completely different from what happened to Lazarus. Remember Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11? Remember we looked at that a number of months ago? When Jesus restored Lazarus back to life, he came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. It's the typical zombie uh, or mummy mummy look, you know, the mummy walk. 
And he had to be freed from his grave clothes. Somebody had actually to take those grave clothes off him. But Jesus left them all behind. He left his grave clothes behind. That's because Jesus was raised to a completely different kind of life. Lazarus' body was restored back to life, back to the life he had before. And so later on, however many years or months later, Lazarus died again. But Jesus' body was transformed into an indestructibly glorious body. A body that would never die again, that would never decay, that would never be destroyed. The same kind of body that we will have when Jesus returns to take us to be with him forever. And this is the evidence that convinced John when he finally went inside He saw and believed. Like Peter, he still didn't understand that what he was seeing that day. He didn't understand that it was the fulfillment of Scripture. But for him, that was enough. Enough to convince him that Jesus had been raised to life. That was his moment of faith, of coming to faith in the risen Lord. Peter, on the other hand, he didn't get it. Luke tells us that Peter went away wondering to himself what had happened. He still had many questions. He needed more convincing. And he was given that evidence. That evidence was provided. As we'll see next week when Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and then later on to the disciples. So Luke wrote about Jesus that after his suffering he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Do you see that? Convincing proofs. He provided the evidence that led them to faith. The early disciples didn't jump to believe in the resurrection. They didn't hear the news and say, oh yeah, of course, absolutely, Jesus rose from the dead. Instead, they were convinced by the evidence that they saw. And John wants us to be convinced too. That's why John wrote his gospel. This is our theme verse as we go through John's Gospel. John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So if you're here this morning and you still haven't yet Put your faith in Jesus and accepted Him as your Savior and your Lord. Then John would say, don't put it off any longer. Run to that tomb. Examine the evidence. See it for yourself. Look and believe.
But this is also so important for us who do believe in Jesus. The truth of the resurrection, the truth of Jesus rising on the third day to life forever. It's continually under attack in this world. If we went out into Enniscorthy today and spoke to many people, many people would just laugh in our face if we told them that that's what we believe. So you and I need to get back regularly to the empty tomb. We need to check out the evidence again and deepen that conviction that Jesus really is alive. As Paul writes to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because folks, if Jesus is alive today, then it means the Bible is true. And Jesus is worth following with everything that we we are and everything that we have. Remember that half-hearted Christianity doesn't make sense at all. But we also need to do this. We also need to look at this evidence and be convinced of this so we can go and share this good news with others. Peter challenges us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be ready to give an answer. In this world full of fake news and elaborate hoaxes, people need to know why we believe that Jesus is alive. We can't just tell them, oh, believe it because I believe it in my heart. Or I believe it because it just makes me feel good. Or I believe it because my parents told me. Or because my church says so. We need more foundation than that. We need a grounding for why we believe so we can share that with others who are also looking for the evidence to come to faith. So we need to encourage people to ask us questions about our hope of eternal life. And we need to be ready to present them the evidence. The evidence that they need in order to move from doubt to faith, from darkness into light, from death into life eternal. So guys, please don't share stuff if you're not sure that it's true. That's a good principle, isn't it? But if we know that Jesus is alive, let's share with all those around us so that they could look and they can believe.